would bow with me this morning. Father, we are thankful that Your Word is true and that Christ did come and that He lived a perfect life and that by Your will He went to the cross bearing the sin that we deserved. You poured out Your wrath upon Him. He cried out in His last moments, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? We know that story that He was forsaken because of us. But then He went to the grave and He was buried and on the third day He rose again. Lord, we know that to be true. He does live. And with all of the darkness and death and disorder and destruction and all of the things, demonic activity in this present age that we experience, Sometimes it is more uh, difficult than many of us can bear. And we wonder, what hope do we have? But we can hope in the resurrection. That Christ was raised from the dead. That He is alive in heaven. That He reigns forevermore. And that we will live also for those who trusted in Christ. And we praise You for that. Lord, I just pray this morning that we would never leave that that we would be reminded as an unbeliever here this morning that Christ came and that He can save and as believers that we would remember it. May it be something that is on our hearts as a church. God, we praise You this morning as we sit before Your Word and ask that You would open our hearts to understand and our wills to be transformed as we leave here. In Christ's name, Amen. So if you would turn with me this morning to Genesis. We are going to be looking in chapter 9 and verse 18 is where we will begin. And we will conclude um, through the end of chapter 10. So some of you are visiting this morning. I want you to know a couple of things about Genesis because you probably do know some of the stories. I just remind you that God created a world that was good. And He says it was very good. And He created this world and He placed man in the Garden of Eden and it was a place of blessing and it was a place of joy and And all things were a blessing there. And yet, um, we know the serpent entered in and man rebelled against God. There was a rebellion in God's created world that was very good. And man rebelled against God. And as a result of that, he was cursed. And it's important that we just see that because in Genesis 3, what we'll see throughout the rest of the story is as we move forward, we get to Genesis 6, as a result of the fall when man rebelled against God, all kinds of craziness broke loose and man began to just go in a downward spiral towards evil and rebellion against God and and hurting one another and all this stuff. And God looks and He says, the wickedness of man is so great that I'm going to destroy all the peoples of the earth and all the animals and everything that I've created. I'm going to completely destroy the earth. And then He was gracious to one, a man named Noah. And He said, Noah, I'm going to rescue you from the coming wrath, from the coming storm, and He's going to rescue him, and He makes that promise that He would do that. And what we see in that is that God, He does it, and He, he brings the storm, and He brings His wrath, and He kills all of the, all, everyone that's ever lived on the planet, and yet saved Noah in this moment, and he, he finds shelter in this ark, and He is there, and He's waiting, and then God brings him Really, he comes to a point where God says, okay, I'm going to bring things back and he restores 
order to his world, and he allows Noah to get off the ark, and Noah just bows in worship and praises God. And we see that, and we're just blown away by that, and we rejoice in that, and we see God says, I will never do this again. I'm not going to destroy the earth by a flood again. I'm going to, to, to allow man to live even though they're really sinful, and I'm going to do something great in the coming days where He's going to bring salvation, and we'll see that in the Scripture today. We'll talk about that just for a moment. But it's God's common grace that you're breathing today. It's God's grace to you. Even if you're not a believer here today, He has been gracious to allow you to get up this morning, to breathe air, to, to have families, all these wonderful things that He has provided, and God has done that. But another thing He does for people here if you're a believer is that God is not going to bring a flood and He is allowing this time for us to live and dwell on this earth. Why? One of the reasons is so we can share this Gospel message that God is a good God. He's holy and just, but He is good. And He is withholding His wrath even though we deserve to die. He's withholding that so that you might have time to repent. And we are called upon the Lord to do that, to proclaim that message as we come forward. Now, we saw some amazing things where God brings him off the ark and you see Noah walking with the Lord, but today's kind of a little bit darker story. We're going to be in chapter 9 and verse 18. You're going to see some things as we're moving forward here. You're going to see Noah leave from being like a man in your mind of just unbelievable faith and you're going to see a really big failure on his part. And I think you'll kind of see that as we're moving ahead here. And what's interesting about it is that even though God only saved one family off the whole planet and He like purged all the rebellion and He did all of those things, there's still something wrong. I mean, man is still in a state that, that is messed up. God's going to have to do something greater than just wash everybody off and save one family. He is going to have to transform our hearts. He's going to have to transform people from the inside. He is going to have to do more than just purge off the earth. He's going to have to restore us so that we can be uh, the people that God has designed us to be. He is, he's being gracious to us, and yet He's going to have to do something even greater, and we're going to see that this morning as we're looking ahead. Now, if you're looking at 918, I'm going to read some of those portions as we go forward, but just scan that with me. We're going to see this morning, Noah is going to do something that God would have him do. He's going to go out, he's going to plant a garden, he's going to raise grapes, he's going to uh, take those grapes, and they're going to ferment, and he's going to have wine. All those things are fine. They're a sign of blessing in the Bible. And yet, ultimately, he's going to drink too much. He's going to get drunk. He's going to end up without his clothes on. And his boy, one of his boys is going to make fun of him. The other two are going to kind of like be honorable towards him. And all this story is kind of revealing that man is not fixed yet. And so I just want you to see that very practically this morning. Just a couple of things for you. Like practically speaking. And I just want you to think about this with me. Um, no matter how far you've gone in your Christian life, no matter how far you've kind of come along the way, you're always susceptible to sin. You could always fall into great sin. There's never a moment in our lives and our spiritual journeys where you think that I can like kind of put it on hold and not move forward for the things of God. Because if we become lax, it's so easy for us to fall into sin. The other thing you see, it's interesting, we're looking, I had no idea it would be this way, but we're looking today at a family and you see that uh, 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 children are to obey their parents. They're to honor their parents. And it's clearly taught here in Scripture. Even when their parents mess up, they're to honor them. Another thing you see, that there are consequences for every act. There's always a consequence for our acts in this present world. The last thing that's probably the biggest thing 
is this. That God is so amazingly um, just grace-oriented that even in the failure of man, He will not stop rescuing us. And even those who are, or maybe you would say, closest to God, He has to rescue them and He has to save them. And I think we are going to see that as we move forward. So let's go ahead and look at chapter 9 and verse 18. I keep mentioning that, but I just want you to see it. Let's look at verse 18. It says, The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And Ham was the father of Canaan. These three were the sons of Noah, and from these the people of the whole earth were dispersed. So here's the thing. God is starting anew. He has three sons. And these three sons, from them will come all the nations of the earth. It's almost if you kind of say, look, everybody's going to come out of this family and these three sons are going to be the ones that kind of the, all the nations of the earth will, will grow out of. And you could say, my lineage fits somewhere within these three because this is the very foundation. Really, it's, 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 they're kind of sent off to say, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. And they are going to do that. And we're going to see that unfold. Look at verse 20. <clears throat> we'll see Noah's disgrace here, but it says, Noah began to be a man of the soil. And he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Now, we said that like work is good. So Noah, he kind of he gets off the ark and he starts working. We don't know, was he a farmer all along? I don't know. For several decades, he built an ark. So we don't really know all the things that he's done. But when he gets off at somewhere around 600 years old, he begins to plant a garden. And it really kind of makes you think back to Genesis chapter 1 where, where they go in and work the garden. God places them in a place and they begin to do that. You kind of see that with Noah and he's working the ground. This is a good thing. Not only that, he's going to grow grapes. That's a good thing. Not only that, he's going to take those grapes and he's going to, he's going to make something of them He's going to like you know smash them or whatever, and he's going to end up with making wine. They're going to ferment. All those things. It, it's that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Honestly, throughout Scripture, wine and like a really good vineyard is always a sign of blessing. Those are all good things. But what does man do? What what does man do? Every I mean, often, what do you do when God blesses you with something? What's the easy thing to do? Often, we'll take something good that God has given us. And, and turn it into something evil. I mean, you see excessive things all around you, good things that God has given. A man has a way of messing those up. So Noah ends up, we we're going to see, he's going to get drunk with those grapes. And he's going to take those and use those in the wrong way. Now, here's the deal. God gives you the ability to work. God gives you the ability to, to, to drink wine. God gives you the ability to eat. God gives you the ability to play sports. God gives you all these things. And they're such good gifts, but they're such an easy thing for us to, to do something with the good gifts God has given us to pervert those. And that is always wrong. And not only that, just to mention this, the life of the Christian is a life of moderation. Just kind of think about that. All the way through Scripture, it's this idea that you should do things in moderation. God has given you gifts. You should eat in moderation. You should drink in moderation. You should... You should really, in some sense, there's an element to where working in moderation or playing in moderation or sleeping in moderation. You're not to be a sluggard. You're not to be a workaholic. You're not to be someone that only wants to entertain themselves all the time. All these things God has given us as good, and yet we have a tendency to use those as evil. So, I mentioned one other thing about this. Anything, 
anything that kind of maybe a principle you kind of bring out of this, anything that messes with your mind, will, or emotions. Like for instance, a drug that comes, any time that you take it, your mind is altered. That is sin because you can't rightly love God and love people and do that. There, there's, there, like I would say, with, with wine, there's moderation. With some drugs, there's, they control your mind and alter your thoughts. All those things, God did not design us to do that with those things. And so we're, it's just a principle there that you would say anything that would lead you to not rightly love God and love people is a sin. And we see this in Noah's life when we see him commit a great grievous sin and really show a model for his children that are, it's not right. Now, the next thing we see in chapter 9, verse 22. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Now, what's he doing here? It's kind of one of those things you're like, well, that doesn't seem, what's he doing? Well, as you're moving forward, you're going to see what is, what's he doing? He's kind of making fun of his father. And it's funny, like in this world, it's almost like we think that's kind of small. It's a small issue to not um, honor your father. It's a small issue to be a dishonorable child. Sometimes you meet a family and you think, good night. I mean, do you understand as a child or as a parent that we are to raise our children to honor their parents, to obey their parents? It's a big sin. I mean, it's not in our culture. A lot of times we think, oh, that's not that big a deal. In the Bible, it is a great sin if someone were to dishonor their parents. Now, is all sin the same? I just wanted you to think about that just for a moment. Because you hear that a lot of times. Like When you look at this, you say, are all sins the same? Are every sin that you ever commit, is it the same in the eyes of God? In one sense, when you and I are sitting there and we're looking at that, we say, here's the thing, you commit one sin. If you commit one sin, James says that, that, that you deserve death. You deserve to be judged by God. You deserve to be punished by God. One sin, like one sin is that way. But in Israel, when you, they were talking about sins and the consequences to sin, sins like murder and lying were different as far as what you had to do. Now think about this for, for me just for a minute. If you murdered someone, it was life for life. The death penalty was practiced in Israel. If you, if you did, um, you could think of a lot of different things that are kind of laid out there. But, but for instance, if you lied, that would be something different. If you took somebody's property, it was something different. But if you murdered, then you, it was life for life. But guess what else? If you were dishonored, uh, dishonored your parents, this is what the Scripture says, honor your father and mother that your days may be long on the land that the Lord your God has given you. Exodus 21 says, whoever strikes his father or mother shall be put to death. Whoever curses his father or mother shall be put to death. To dishonor in the Scripture was a major thing. Sometimes we think, well, murder's real bad, dishonoring our parents is not. Now in the Scripture, it was really big with Israel if they dishonored their parents. In every way, they were to be honoring them in what they did. Now, there's a couple of little things to think about. In Mark chapter 7, Jesus is, is confronted by some adult men. And these adult men are kind of like trying to twist Jesus' words and they're doing all kinds of stuff. And they look at Jesus and they say, well, shouldn't we wash our hands? And they, They're talking about all this religious practice. And Jesus says, look, those are your little things. You're coming up with your little washing your hands to make sure you're clean. You do that. But this is what He said. Why are you making such a big deal over washing your hands when you're mistreating your parents? Basically what they would do if their parents were in hard times, they would say, look, parents, you just kind of live in those hard times. 
Forget about you. We don't want to deal with you. And so what they would say is, we've devoted all our money to God. And Jesus looked at them and says, look, you're to honor your father and your mother. It is a high calling. It's in the Ten Commandments. It is a major deal. And so I'll just kind of tell you this morning, I just want you to think through that this morning. I mean, certainly Noah's committed a great sin, but this is a greater sin here by his son who is looking at his father who is in a state of just complete... His father's messed up. And his father shouldn't have done what he did, but now he's going to make kind of a sport of him. He's going to laugh at him. He calls his brothers and say, oh, look at what's going on with dad. Look at him over there. I mean, he's completely drunk. Ha, ha, ha. But it's not funny to God. That's not the picture that's presented in Scripture. Now, as parents, just kind of a quick little... As parents, we... We're called to teach our children to live honorable lives. A parent is called to teach their child to obey, to understand authority, to understand what it means to to walk in a way that would be honorable. That is the design. Parents are called to that. And it's important today. I mean, grandparents are called to that. This church is called to raise people who honor their parents, who live in a way that would bring uh, honor to them. Now, here's the thing. Some of us here, there's no question, you might have a bad parent, a parent who does not walk with the Lord, a parent who really doesn't want you to walk with the Lord. That is a reality that we see that all around us. And yet, in the midst of that, there's a way in which you are to honor your parents while at the same time recognizing sometimes that comes in conflict with actually honoring God. But sometimes, and I just kind of share this with you, I think there's some people who their parents never recognize it and never understand it and don't even like it whose lives honor them more than they realize because they're walking with the Lord. And so I encourage you this morning, in whatever stage of life you're in, God has called us to that. He's called us to obedience and to honor and to to live in a way that would be pleasing to God and to someone's parents. Now, Look at verse 23, and you're going to notice here. It's, you see two sons kind of, they really do honor. And notice what happens here. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it on their shoulders and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backward and they did not see their father's nakedness. What's the idea here? They're backing up. They don't even want to see their father. They do not want to dishonor him. And they're going to cover him. And they're going to do that so that they don't bring any shame on him. It's a very powerful witness here of what they're doing and seeking to do. Now, Noah's in this state of drunkenness and he really is somewhat out of control, but there must be enough of knowledge going on in his head. Like there's just enough going on where he's thinking what's taking place and what's happening with these boys. In verse 24, when Noah woke from his wine and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall shall he be to his brothers. Now, What's going to happen? Noah kind of knows what his younger brother, youngest son has done, and he's going to speak really a curse on him, but he's also going to speak a blessing on his other son. And so he's going to say to them, look, look, cursed be you. Canaan really is kind of the picture later in Scripture. You're going to hear of the Canaan, the people of Israel are going to go into the, the, this land of Canaan, in the land of the Canaanites. It happens over and over and over again. But here's what happens. He curses him. Now, that kind of sounds weird because you think, good night, I mean, really? But what you see in Scripture, and often the Lord is, is certainly He's working in that because it comes true. 
And it's almost like a prophetic curse. It happens with Jacob. He does it with his children. And you see that over and over again in Scripture. Well, this is one of those instances where it's made clear and he brings curse upon that family and on that line. Now, in verse 26 and 27, he says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be a servant. There is certainly no... Um, so Okay, let, let's just stop right there. He's going to say, look, he's going to bless the one, the Shem, who's going to walk with the Lord. He's saying the God of Shem. The idea here is Shem is walking with the Lord. What we're going to find out later is all the promises of, of God in Scripture are going to find themselves like, really, I mean, if you think about it, Shem's line is the line that's going to be where Jesus is going to come. And that's a very powerful picture for us. And, and what we see is He's going to bless him. And not only that, He's going to bless his brother because of him. And we see this kind of picture, a curse and a blessing, and it's clearly revealed here. Now what's going to happen with all of this as we kind of finish up, we see Noah passes away, and we see really we've established the nations. They're kind of set forward. They're going to be these three different families that are going to move forward. Now I'm just going to hit a couple of things in chapter 10. But before we do, I just want you to think back. We see this whole story of God rescuing a people. We see Noah being blessed by God. And then we see Noah rebel. And we see these sons, kind of this idea of this one son, Shem, who's going to be a blessing to all the world, and this other who's going to be cursed. And so we're setting the stage. We're saying, like, the whole world's going to come out of this group. Okay? And so we start there in chapter 10, and we kind of look forward in verse 1. And what we're going to see is those three families, again, are going to be the families. And it's going to kind of establish. 70, really kind of 70 peoples here. And those 70 people are like, it's a completion. It's a picture of like all of the nations of the earth are going to kind of be put together here. And later you can look at all these verses and, and you're going to see Japheth's little line and all his lineage and you're going to see where they kind of end up in the world. And you're going to see the next one, you'll see Ham and you'll see where his family kind of ends up in the, in the world. And the next one you'll see Shem and you'll see where his family kind of ends up in all the world. I just want to mention a couple of little things about that. One is this. When you look at this passage, really in verses 6-20, through Ham's descendants, they're in a lot of different places, but they're going to be like the enemies of Shem's descendants. They're going to be the enemies of the people of God. They're going to be warring against them. It's going to be a battle. I mean, really a bloodbath over that whole land. It's, we're going to see it throughout Scripture, this war between those two. They'll be called the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Canaanites. All this group, it's going to be there. And so all this battle is going to be taking place. Japheth's family is somewhat north from there and kind of separated from them. Just kind of let you know, you know, just kind of throw that out for you. But Shem's family is going to be the line where you're going to see Abraham come and Isaac come and Jacob come and the twelve sons of Israel come and Jesus come. All the blessings of God are going to be kind of come through this family line. Now, what do you see from all this? Sometimes when we look at those, you think, what's that all about? What do we see from this family and all these families kind of being established? We see we have a common ancestry. All of us come in that this way. We're all part of this big family. Sometimes when you think about people, like maybe, um, did you know like sometimes in the South, there are certain people that, 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 uh, that people look down upon. Or if you go over, Anna lives in Florida, there's a certain people group they're looked down upon. Or if you move over like to the east somewhere and you go 
way away from here, across the, you know, to, to another country, you'll find out there's always people kind of marginalized. One of the things we see is that there is this common bond that all of us are created in the image of God. And I think that's important for us to see. Not only that, this is the other picture here. All these nations that are going to spread out, the Scripture is going to tell us that God's going to call people from every tongue, tribe, and nation. Really, through the line of Shem, Jesus is going to come and people from every place throughout the world will be brought back together. And we see this kind of the, all these families later next week, we'll look at them scatter, but Jesus is going to re- bring many people from every one of those nations back to Himself. I think it's just important that we see it and that we understand that. Now, I want you to think with me as we kind of pull this together. When we're looking at this text, Noah was a wonderful person in history. He was an instrument used by God. There's no question that God used him in a marvelous way and that he walked by faith and he he was a steadfast man, but guess what? He was a sinner. Noah was not all that he could have been. And really, sometimes in people's minds, they might look out there and go, Noah is the Savior. He saved all of humanity in some way. But what we see in this text is it's not about Noah as much as it is God. God is doing something. God is rescuing His people through instruments like Noah. No doubt, He was used mightily of the Lord. But Noah is lesser than what we need. Noah could not bring salvation to his family in an eternal sense. And Noah was not the answer for all of humanity. Noah was a sinner like you and me. But someone greater than Noah must come. Something you get from this story is Noah and his family will not save the world. God is going to have to do that and He will have to provide someone greater than Noah. Not only that, when we looked at this story and we kind of saw Noah made that offering of sacrifice last week, we were looking at that. And Noah's sacrifice was not sufficient for all the sins of humanity. God was going to have to send a greater sacrifice. Not only that, Noah's going to have children and they're, not going, to, they're going to be sinners too. And they're going to struggle with sin. And all this story is like we were looking at this little Jesus storybook Bible. All of this story is saying God is going to save. And God must save. And God must do something for humanity. And He's going to have to do something more than just put them on a ship. He is going to have to change them. He's going to have to transform them. The story of the flood is not, it's, it's kind of giving you a glimpse that God's going to judge the world and save a people, but there's much more coming. The scripture is going to say that there's one coming who will be a true Savior. There is one coming who will save us from the coming wrath of God. When the floods of judgment are coming upon humanity, you say, well, it won't be a flood, or by fire in Revelation, when it is coming, only those who find shelter in Jesus will be saved. That's kind of the Noah story is telling you God is going to judge the earth, but He's going to provide salvation. And we need to see that this morning. There is going to need to be a sacrifice, but it's going to need to be greater than what Noah offered. It's going to be the sacrifice of His Son. He is going to have to lay down His life. He will be the ultimate sacrifice. And listen to this, there are all these nations of the earth and they're going to be dispersed as we look at it next week, but Jesus is going to draw them back. He is going to bring a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. And it's a powerful 
thing this morning to see. Revelation says this, Worthy are You, Lord, to take the scroll, speaking of Jesus, and to open its seals, for You were slain, and by Your blood You ransomed people for God from every tribe and tongue and nation, and You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. At the end of the day, looking at this story, you're going to see that God is going to do something. He's going to, he is going to make all these nations, but He is going to draw them back through the salvation or the saving work of His Son. Not necessarily every one of them, of course, but He is going to do that. He's going to bring them back. So where does that leave us as a church? Where does it leave you? Why do we read Genesis? We see our sinful condition. We see that, that, that Noah's not a Savior. We see all of these things. We see that the flood didn't change the heart of man. What, what, where does it leave us? It leaves us with that reality that Christ came and He gave His life and He is the true Savior. and He is the only one that's going to change our hearts and the hearts of all of humanity. And ultimately today as a church, we are a part of that process. Each individual is called upon by God to be, to be people who are going to minister that grace throughout the world. There, there is that element to where you know how the, every tongue and tribe and nation hears the Gospel? This week it's been a memory verse that I've kind of been going through in Romans 10 where it says, how are people going to know without a preacher? How are they going to understand unless somebody goes to them? As a church, I just encourage you as you read this story to realize that God has made these nations and He is accomplishing things. And it does, like when we go out into all the world and we see people from every tongue, tribe, and nation, we watch the news and we see all these things going on that God is using a people to bring His people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to Himself. We are not the Savior, but we know the Savior. And I encourage you as a church to take every opportunity in this year to share with those around you about the coming judgment of God and about the salvation that's provided through His Son. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful today for Your Word. Lord, we see in, in the lives of this family the the struggle of, of this present world where people are living their lives for themselves and not following Your way. Lord, we know in our own lives that we know that some of that story is our story. We, like Noah and his family, rebel. And even though You've rescued us and, and not kept, kept away the flood at this time of judgment, we realize that that day's coming and we just we hope in your son. And I just pray for all of us here today if you if there are people here that are lost, Lord, that you would bring them to a knowledge of yourself. That you would allow them to see that their only hope from your judgment is what you provided through your son through the line of Shem that we're going to watch unfold as we move through the book of Genesis. God, I just pray you would do that. And in Christ's name, we pray. Amen.